He pioneered Jets blogging and podcasting. He brought smiles to the faces of Jets fans all over the world. He was there through the good and bad. And then, one day... He vanished. People far and wide wondered, where has he gone? When will he return? Thankfully, the answer is... Now! OG of Jets podcasting and blogging is back. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. This is There's Always Next Year with Brian Bassett. I'm back. The real me. Let's not, not make a whole thing of it. And his co-hosts, Chef Travis Milton. Today we're going to be making the students my tasty baked ziti with basil and fresh mozzarella. And Josh Conrad. Oh, my brother, testify. On Turn on the Jets Digital. Welcome back to There's Always This Year. I'm your host, Brian Bassett. You can follow me on Twitter at Brian underscore Bassett. With me is our friend Travis Milton, who you can follow on Twitter at dash 37 board 27. Ah, that's always confusing for me. And of course, the preacher man, Josh underscore Conrad, who you can find on Twitter. Josh. Travis, how were your New Year's? Did you guys actually do anything? Well, if anyone saw my Twitter, I got drunk with a uh, Curtis Martin action figure. Um. <laughs> At first, you know, I saw that. I saw the Curtis Martin action figure and you getting drunk. And at first I saw the pants and I was like, why is he wearing Desert Storm pants? And then I was like, oh, oh, no, it's those aren't camouflage pants. Those are just like muddy jerseys. They're muddy, yes, muddy pants. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. Actually, it was- it's because I, I, I spent a – I spilt a uh, whiskey and Coke on uh, – Curtis Martin about uh, <laughs> 10 years ago. And I was like, that looks cool. It looks like just muddied pants. I'm just going to leave it. It's so, like, it's Travis's version of Elf on the Shelf. It's Curtis on your shoulder. Exactly. He's, and he's checking in on you to make sure you're behaving and he's reporting back to Joe Namath or something like that. Yeah. I like that. I think, I think we've got a, I think we've got a merchandising opportunity coming up this year for us boys. So Josh, as a father of twins, did you do anything on New Year's Eve now that you're a parent? And as a fellow parent, I ask, like, do you actually do any things on New Year's anymore or no? No, I, I, you know, we stayed in. It's impossible to get a sitter on, on New Year's Eve. And so we decided early to stay in. Um, I went shopping. We did our version of Surf and Turf. So I just got a couple lobster tails, a couple really good looking ribeyes and just cooked those. And we sat and watched Andy Barron's and Anderson Cooper nice. make fools of themselves all night on CNN's coverage. <laughs> uh, it was It was truly, if you saw my Twitter, it's... It's the worst night of television. Like all these channels now do their own show and not one of them is good. Everything is just brutal. Like if there's a night for someone out there to really produce a great show um, and get off of the, you know, the, the traditional, oh, let's, let's go down to, you know, Jenny McCarthy. Let's hear what Nick Jonas has to say about like, New Year's. Yeah, forget all that. Like do a different premise. You would own that night. So come on, creatives of the world, make a plan. Get something better for us parents who are home watching New Year's Eve. Have something great to watch. But um, honestly, watching watching Anderson Cooper, you've seen the you've seen the clip already. I was so disappointed with Andy Barron's. It was like <laughs> it was like, have you never done this before in your life? And like he's screaming like a twelve year old would scream um, the first time he you know had like a black coffee or something. Like it was 
truly, truly hilarious for us. Did but you now, see? Did you see Steve Harvey? No. I, we, we flipped through a little bit. He was he was like, he was dressed like Darkwing Duck. He looked really oh good. Gosh, I gotta find that. And he he just like every clip of his was just him talking about his own shows. We're here on Family Feud. Yeah, good. Uh, That'd be all great. The, all the television on New Year's Eve is terrible, but you know we we had a good steak and a good lobster tail and a couple, couple libations of our own and hung out Excellent. and made fun of television all night. I, I watched two episodes of The Marvelous Miss Maisel with my wife. I had uh, gotten up for a super early morning boot camp that morning. And so by 1030, I was like falling asleep and I'm like, ah, I'm going to bed. And then someone in our neighborhood shot fireworks off at like at midnight, which is fine, whatever. And, but Good I, old Forest Hill. Yeah, exactly. And I woke up and I was like, God, what the hell? What's going on? And I, I, I really was like, Oh my gosh, like I am so old now. I'm like the guy waking up, like staring out the window, glaring at the person shooting off fireworks. Like, this is now who I am. Okay. So when we lived in Churchill in Richmond, we played shot we played shotgun or firework all night on New Year's Eve. We couldn't shotgun ever truly or tell. fireworks. Like, that is that is a Richmond tradition. It's it was pretty great. I, I do miss that. That is one thing I miss from Richmond is shotgun or fireworks. Shotgun or fireworks. I love it. All right. Well, other people can probably play that at home. They can try that next year. In the meantime, there was some firing going on in the, in the New York Jets world. Of course, Todd Bowles getting fired, and then Chris Johnson and Mike McCagney coming out on Monday and giving a press conference. So we are not going to waste a lot of time on this. We're wasting zero time on the Patriots game. Uh, but what I want you to do is give me, uh, because we're not wasting time, in three words, your take on Todd Bowles getting fired. I'll go first, and I'll just say, finally, about time. Anyone well, mine was, gonna be, mine was going to be about fucking time, so yeah, it's, it's, it's okay. the same Those kind are of pretty thing. close, pretty close. Got anything else for us, Josh, maybe more analytical? My, my three words would be, is anyone shocked? <laughs> Uh, how many timeouts did he leave uh, uh, on the on the board before? We go into next year with with plus forty three timeouts, which is great. <laughs> That's great. We can carry him over, right? Yeah, you can carry him over like salary cap. That's it's great. fine. It's not a problem. All right, and then so so that was that was the first important thing we got to get through in news and notes. The second important thing is the Chris Johnson and Mike McCagnan press conference on Monday, where no video was allowed. He spoke. Uh, McCagnan and and. And Jonathan spoke to the press. They had a number of things to say. And I'll, and my three words are, what are you hiding? <laughs> I don't know. That's four words, sorry. Anyone, anyone got three words on that, on that conference? I'm gonna I go got don't you. shit bed. Oh. Don't shit bed. That's good. That's good. I like that. I got uh, fake news conference. There you go. Yeah, I think that pretty much sums it up, right? They come out, basically they say that the team, you know, should have achieved better results, you know, with the team that McCagnan put in place and like, please, come on. All right. Like, how is Lorenzo Malden helping you these days, right? How is um, Justin Burris helping you? How is our Darius Stewart? Did did those guys, were those, were those guys really, that was, was that the difference? Was that really the difference? Because uh, I don't think those guys were on the roster anymore, so... I think the point is we're certainly dissatisfied. Maybe I think we've talked about the fact that the Jets might have pruned a little bit further back, not only the head coach, but maybe also the general manager. And so that kind of takes us into what the the bulk of the show is going to be about, which is the fact that (laughs) I cathartically wrote a manifesto 
on my friend Bent's website, jetsfix.com, which is a great site. And if listeners aren't reading Jetfix, we know we're on Turn On the Jets and, uh, and Joe, and we love everything Joe does. But Bent and I worked together since 2004, 2005 on the Jets blog. Um, he was one of the first commenters on the site, and he was always so funny in the comments. I asked him, hey, you sh- would you help me with the Jets blog? And so he became really the driving force behind the Jets blog. So Bent is very secretive and very quiet and very shy and private, but I will say that he is from the United Kingdom. Um, I have met him. I have pictures with him. He's a real person, um, and he's not me. He's not my alter ego. But, um, but so about a year ago, he started just his own blog called Jet Fix, and he still writes for SNY, uh, but this is something he started on the side. And so because I've kind of moved on and life has moved on, I started this, I started this, uh, you know, I've written two articles for jet fix in the last year, uh, one or after the draft and then one now. And so the, the idea of the article fellas, which I'm, I know you guys read, but was essentially an open letter to jets ownership. And, uh, and so the, I had three main pieces of advice and lots of stuff under there, which you guys I know are chuckling at me about. But so we'll go through the advice items one by one, and I'll give a short thing, and then you guys agree, disagree, add whatever you want. So, so the first piece of advice that I talked about was change up the reporting structure. And I, I will say that that was not originally what I wanted to do until I basically was writing the article for weeks, and then they... Uh, they came out with the fact that McKagan was obviously going to be safe and it sure seemed like he was going to be safe for a while. But I don't like the way that this team is run where you have the GM and the coach separate from each other. I think that's a, it's not that they're the only organization that has that sort of structure, but it certainly does not allow for what feels like a proper chain of command and who's really, whose fault are things and where does the buck stop and so I think it, it only confuses matters. And so I didn't write up too much on that, but I certainly think the reporting structure is messed up. Josh, what are your thoughts on that? And then Travis, you can chime yeah, in. Yeah, it, it seems disjointed. You know, I, I think maybe only and maybe most famously, a similar structure is happening in Dallas, has been happening in Dallas for years and years. Name one good coach that left Dallas in a good situation. Every single time this works or this happens um, in Dallas, whether it was um, Jimmy Johnson all the way through, there's always a breakdown at the end. And, you know, I mean, save for this very miraculous playoff season from the Cowboys um, and Jason Garrett, I don't see that going well in a year or two either. You know, I, I just don't know that this structure really works out in the long run anywhere. Um, I, I, I can't imagine that we want to turn into the Cowboys and have someone like Chris Johnson becoming our Jerry Jones, who's just in charge of every decision and everybody reports directly to him. You know, every single place with healthy leadership feels like you have an owner, you have a GM and you have a head coach and they're generally on the same page, but you have a clear reporting structure where the owner's thinking about everything. The GM's thinking mostly about the roster and the coach is thinking about execution. When those three things aren't in play, it feels very flimsy to me. And so I, I am not a fan of this at all. I know you covered it in your, your very Jerry Maguire Aryan, um, the things we think and do not say manifesto future of our business article. By the way, I just pictured you furiously typing on a keyboard yeah. um, in a cold sweat in the middle of a thunderstorm. Like I had full visions of Brian Bassett going full Jerry McFriggin Maguire. 
on us. Um, it, it, was more, it was more like my kids were coming in the office and I kept yelling at them to get out. I was like, get out! You're like, we have a reporting structure. Go talk to your mother first. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly right. No, I'm, I'm with you. I don't like this at all. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Yeah, Travis, uh, you probably of the three of us have the most acute understanding of why chain of command matters. So maybe you could shed some light on this for us. Yeah, and I have a little bit of a different take and I'm in a little bit of a disagreement on it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, this this reporting structure has worked for a lot of successful franchises in the past. The Giants had this with uh, uh, Parcells and have carried it through. there's been a lot of teams that have been able to be successful at this. The, the, the disconnect is with the Jets is, you know, when, when you sit down and you, you start a business and you want it to be successful, the first thing that you do is you create a mission statement and you create clear, clear goals that are short-term, long-term, and you create a, a roadmap of how to get to those goals. I actually approached my New Year's uh, this year in the same mm. manner after reading your article. Instead of doing resolutions of, of things that I want to happen, I took a look at the past year and what worked, what didn't work, what made me happy, what didn't make me happy, what was successful, and what was a failure. And I looked at why those things were that way, and I'm going to apply those two this year. So those are things that you do in order to, to start this chain of command. And in a, you know, in a restaurant, you know, obviously it's not a football team, but you have a general manager and you have a chef. To, you know, a lot, in my world of the restaurant, the chef is typically the owner, um, so it's a little bit different. But in a lot of places, they, those people report directly to the, the, the owner uh, independently. What, what happens is when you don't have an owner that is competent and clear and understanding of what he wants and how he's going to get there, that's where it all goes to shit. Mm. And that's where the jets are stuck. You know, these, these situations work with someone like, you know, the, the Maras or formerly with the Maras, probably not now as we see, because you had, you had an owner that was understanding of football that understood what he didn't know about football, understood what he wanted and hired people that could, you know, I think we talked about this last week and hired people that could fill those portions of his deficiencies. Right. And that's where the Jets continually stumble over themselves is they don't hire 
someone that can fill in these these holes and these gaps and when you do that you start losing accountability you start losing credibility and and no one knows what the hell's going on and you've got people that aren't on the same page and then that's when it turns into a shit show like it always does so it starts with christopher johnson right now if he can create a clear roadmap of what he wants and what the expectations are and hold people accountable to them then you know that's that's going to be a different thing um yeah that's but a great it, point. Yeah, so keep going. Sorry. No, I, I was, I was kind of ending. I was, I was just going to oh. throw out some cuss words. Like, I'm, you know, I don't know. <laughs> well, one of the things that you, what, what you were saying there at the end, like triggered in my memory when Rex Ryan came to the Jets for his interview. Now, he was not, I can't remember who their, who their top choice was going into that process, uh, but it wasn't Rex Ryan until he showed up with a PowerPoint. Rex Ryan was, you know, very energetic and he had this PowerPoint presentation and he took the Jets through his plan and they were like, wow, this is great. This is amazing. And so, so I always thought that was like very admirable that he had this big plan and, you know, PowerPoint presentation to go through and whatever, fine. But what I'm seeing now, just based on what you're saying is, oh shit, this is because the Jets' ownership don't have their own clear vision. So, right, to your point is they're latching on to somebody else's clear vision without having their own. And so, right, then you get these, uh, whatever, conflicting visions or goals, and, and you have exactly what you have. So I, I agree with your point that it's less about the – the power structure certainly helps clean it up, but at the same time, it's less about the power structure – at the GM coaching level and more about the head, the head honcho, right? Wherever the buck stops. And if they don't have a vision and it seems clear that there is no vision or at least they're not doing a good job communicating it. So my second piece of advice was upgrade McCagnan or put him on the clock. And I get that that can be a little bit um, contradictory and especially contradictory in regards to the reporting structure. But at the same time, I I don't think that that means it's untrue. My point here is that, and Travis, you and I talked about this last week, which is the sense that Mike McCagnan has done okay in spots. By and large, we're not impressed with what he's been able to do in terms of draft or free agency at this point. And so as a result, like my big concern going into this cycle is, okay, so you've got a guy who's proven to be inefficient in drafting and proven to be inefficient in free agency. And now you're going to give him the biggest amount of cap space that the team has ever had. And you're going to give them a number of high draft picks, which we're just hoping he doesn't screw up. And so my thought is, okay, like there are probably worse GMs out there than him, but he's, he's certainly not one of the best, but if you could get one of the best and that's Travis, you and I talked about Sashi Brown last week and some other folks, but at the end of the day, it comes down to a couple things. Number one is the Peter principle, which is essentially that it's an organizational hierarchy thing. We've talked about it before that essentially people rise up to the top of the ranks and go beyond their level of competency. I would say Todd Bowles is an example of that. He's a great defensive coordinator, terrible head coach. Uh, I think Mike McCagnan is that too. He's probably a great director of scouting or something like that, but he's a terrible general manager. And so if you can get somebody who actually is fits that position, they don't need to themselves be an evaluator or excellent in all these different areas. They just need to be good delegators or good or the ability to find talented people and bring them in. That's That's what managing is. Managing is delegating. 
Exactly. Just because you're a good salesperson doesn't mean that you're going to be the best sales director for an organization. You actually might be the worst sales director for an organization. Um, and so, so, the, so the point being there is that if you don't see that, that's a problem. There's also a point that just that in general, there are biases against former general managers. And so people want to hire a new fresh face because there's hope and also because there's no hard track record that you can put against that person. And that's, a, that's an inefficiency. And then third is that timing's everything. People are only available at certain points in time. Essentially, when Ryan Pace, who was the only other great candidate, out, the, only, the only great candidate out there, the year the Jets uh, were getting their GM, Ryan Pace has turned out to be pretty darn good in Chicago. And you couple that with the fact that, like, that, so he, he declined or, you know, turned down the opportunity to go talk to the Jets. So they kind of defaulted to McCagnon. So, so my point is timing is everything. So if there are people that are out there like Duke Tobin or George Patton or Sashi Brown, like you have to take the opportunities when they come. So this doesn't, my point is this doesn't have to be hard. I understand it looks, you know, funky or whatever, or it looks disjointed, but to make the right changes, you've got to have conviction. And I just don't see that. So Josh, um, yeah, Josh, what, what do you think about kind of, whether upgrading the cabinet or putting them on the clock. What do you, what do you think about all that? Yeah, I, I think there's an element here too. And, and I agree with all of your points. I, I, I totally agree with everything. I think you wrote in this section for the advice. The one thing I'd probably add here um, is that continuity matters. And so like just relationship matters that, you know, a GM that's going to come in and maybe right now is hearing, you know, some of the candidates that maybe are out there for, you know, two years down the line or a year and a half down the line, whatever amount of time that McKagan, you know, holds on to this job. Um, they're, they're already wondering, well, who's, what's Chris Johnson about? Like, what, what is this plan? Like, this doesn't seem like it's going to make much sense either. And so, you know, when, when Ryan Pace passes and then, you know, you look at the, the track record of the Jets with Idzik and Tannenbaum, now McKagan, like, you know, you look at these guys that the Jets have had, you've got to think that there's a problem with continuity at the top. And so teams that are typically at the bottom um, typically start with bad ownership, right? Like they don't, you know, maybe every now and then you luck in to a, you know, to a top player franchise guy that is going to override those things. You know, I think about the Cavaliers with LeBron in 2003. I mean, they just luck into that pick and then suddenly the organization changes. And so Dan Gilbert's horrible leadership for years and years, and we're seeing it again now, um, with with Dan Gilbert with the Cavs is back to this place of like just this lost puppy kind of a mentality and so you know to me the the I, I agree with the points and how we go about a search who are the guys we should be looking at timing all those pieces but we let's not overestimate the fact that these guys have to work together at some point so the owner and the GM eventually have to be in the same room making some decisions having some conversations and so if guys keep passing on the Johnson family like to me, that's got way more to do with the Johnson family than it does with the, the potential $100 million in cap space and Sam Darnold and, you know, all the pieces that the Jets have in place, which might be fun for someone that's not thinking that way, but that's also going to add to future problems anyway. And so, you know, this continuity piece, the relationship, the likability piece matters. And so I think if Chris Johnson has one main job in the next two years is to really potentially reevaluate how he leads an organization um, and maybe for the first time, you know, has a clearer handle of the organization with, with, with his father passing the, the torch off to him a little bit. But, you know, to right. be a good leader, you're going to attract top talent because they want to work with you, not because you've got all the right pieces. I mean, Travis, just because a, a restaurant has 
the, the best location and the coolest concept doesn't mean that sous chefs and guys that are working the line want to work there. They want to work with someone that they actually respect and a guy that I would assume that they want to follow, a man or woman that they want to follow in that role. Do people want to follow Chris Johnson is a big question that we've got to be making sure that is being asked before we get to the who are the guys we could be hiring because those guys might not care. Maybe Pace came in and went, this is a mess. I don't want to have anything to do with these guys. They don't know what they're doing. They've got no clear structure. They've got no mission statement. And, and these guys maybe aren't even as likable as, as potentially we, we hope that they would be. So, you know, I think that's the first place we start. And then hopefully from there, you know, I think all of the other pieces you wrote about, Brian, certainly matter. Or- so back back again to a little bit of, of my experience in this area. You know, a lot a lot of people's concept of what I do, you know, when I when you, you hear that I'm a chef, people think that I'm back there, you know, melting leeks in a pan or sautéing garlic or brimming tomatoes. Ramps season. Yeah, ramps. It's getting close. <laughs> But, uh, you know, when, when you get to a certain point in, in what I do, you know, I've got multiple restaurants. I don't have time to be back there, you know, cutting carrots into, you know, eighth inch cubes. I don't, I, I manage, I delegate, I give, you know, I give these jobs to other people and I oversee it. One of the, one of the, or actually the, the two big arguments that I heard were the, the you know, the, the, the whole mess, the, the pro McCagnan people, the anti McCagnan people, you know, one of the big arguments I heard was, you know, well, against Mac was, well, he's not giving enough talent, you know, to Todd. And then one of the pro ones were, well, it's Todd's job to, you know, fit his scheme to the talent that he had. And the thing that, that really killed me about those arguments was they're actually completely congruent. They're, they're not conflicting. You know, you, people are using these, you know, against one another, but they're actually, you know, completely congruent. And that's why accountability is going to be very crucial going forward from Chris Johnson to Mike McCagnan because if I've got a, if I've got a general manager who's doing all my hiring and I've got a chef you know who's telling me you know well the people he's hiring aren't you know they they aren't able to do stuff well there comes a certain point where your your staff or your players are a known commodity and you're you you've got them so you've got to figure out how to best put out a product that's good with what you have so you tailor your scheme or in my case my menu to the strengths of my staff. Um, so that was a deficiency that Bowles had. But you can't overlook the fact that McCagnan was consistently giving subpar players uh, right. uh, unless, you know, someone, you know, it's, yeah, here's you're going to have great chicken we, we your door. found off the back of a Tyson's truck that, that fell off the back of a Tyson's truck. It's probably seven days old. I don't know. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, you're going to, you know, you're going to look into people walking your door and kind right. of what Josh is saying you know, kind of like with the draft with him looking into, you know, Darnold, mm-hmm. Adams, um, Lee, Williams, you know, the, these, these players fell to them. And you're going to have that in any, any business, any industry. You're going to have people walk in the door that are like, okay, sweet, awesome. I didn't recruit you, but you are amazing. And I'm, I'm lucky that you're here. But it's, the, it's the, the mid-level employees. And again, this goes back to kind of mirroring the mid-level draft picks. Those are the people that make things you know, go on a daily basis. Those are the ones doing the dirty work. And if you miss on those, you know, it, the entire thing is, is kind of screwed up and you're putting more on your plate, which makes you less efficient. So accountability is, is something that Chris Johnson's going to have to, to place on Mike McCagney. And I don't think that there's been enough accountability there. Yeah. And it feels like he's kind of giving him, and maybe this is this kind of, you know, uh, putting them on the clock, like here's your chance. You get two more years or whatever. You better, you better turn it around. And one would hope that that has to thing. But, but my thought is, 
I just, I think I've seen enough to know, I don't think it's going to happen in the next two years. So let's just get the reboot. Like, let's just reboot this thing. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. So that leaves us to where we actually are, which is obviously finding a new head coach. Obviously the Jets have been out there. Um, my advice starts with the fact that, and again, we talked a little bit about this last week, but two things. Number one, they need to find an offensive-minded head coach who can work with Sam Darnold and um, tease out his strengths, right? And and help him get to the next level of, you know, of play, right? So we've seen things from him. We've seen, we've been impressed with, with moments in time. Of course, you know, you look at the Patriots game. I mean, it's hard to hold too much against him, but you know, he, he's not at a place where he can will a team like a LeBron, you know, in his prime or Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or any of these, you know, super quarterbacks who can will his team to a win. And so what we need is a coach who can get him to that point where if the jets are down four points with two minutes, you feel we got a pretty good shot at getting a touchdown here, you know, start, you know, lining up on their own 25, you know, to, to start a, to start a drive. Like that's the place that we need to get Sam Darnold to be. Um, and he's not there yet because he's just played a rookie year, but he's had a good rookie year. So couple that with the fact that all of the innovation and all of the rules changes and everything and all of the efficiency, when you just break down the numbers, all of the efficiency is, is concentrated in the passing game, not in, you know, uh, stopping the run on defense or, uh, or even, you know, grinding the ball on offense. So, 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 so the point here is you have to invest in the passing game and putting resources and the right coaches who are going to on fourth and three on the opponent's 40 yard line, you know, in a game where you're down eight points, go for it. Right. Or so, something like that. Like you need those kind of resources. And so when you have defensive minded coaches, they're more risk averse. So, so the trend has been offensive. Will the Jets actually make that adjustment? Or if they hire, a, let's say, a neutral head coach who's like at least not getting in the way of things like a Steve Wilkes would or, <coughs> excuse me, or other coaches, when you think about the, the silhouette of what the next Jets head coach is, what characteristics do you care most intensely about? Um, I, one of the biggest things, and, and you and I have, gone you know Mm -hmm. talked about this a ton is concentration on analytics you know one of the things that that blows my mind and and about uh mcveigh is his understanding of situational football and these things you're talking about this you know what do you do when it's fourth and eight from the 32 yard line you know and and that guy can he can he remembers every play he's ever called you know I, i don't expect you know to find another head coach with a photogenic memory but at the same time, that understanding of situational football and how to put, you know, players in play of, you know, of who you have in those spots. Um, 
I agree that we, we need somebody, you know, offensively, the, the, the league is, is going that way and it's not, it's not going to return anytime soon back to, you know, uh, the freaking ground and pound or the, the, the good old smash mouth, which again, it's going to make that song in my head, but, uh, hey, you know, <laughs> you know, that's, that's not coming back anytime soon because they, you know, they want ratings, they want money. Um, and throwing, you know, 80-yard bombs, that's that's making that ESPN highlight reel. That's, you know, making people tune in. So having someone that can understand, you know, those kind of that, – that kind of minutia, I think, is is what they really need to, to look into the most. And I, I think, you know, McCagnan needs to get on board with that too. I mean, uh, you know, these analytics are all across the board. It's not just situational football. It's it's on measurables. It's on, you know, what did what did – our Darius Stewart do in these situations that we've had deficiency at in the past, you know, it's, right. it's looking at those things insanely critically. And I don't think there's been enough of that uh, across the board. Uh, so I think that's, that's yeah. the first and foremost thing that I would look at as, as a whole to fill with a head coach. Right. And, and, and so, yeah, I, I would say just quickly on the analytics, sorry to pause there. And then, uh, you know, Josh, want to hear your thoughts, but what I would say, if, if I was, if I was a candidate for, uh, general manager for for the Jets. I would go in there and I would say, "You, we can use the existing scouting staff in the first two years. I'm asking for you to remove one scouting, one or two scouting positions, and for you to give me, uh, I don't know, three hundred thousand or you know whatever, three hundred thousand dollars, which I can use for consulting services that I can go out and get analytic analytical people to do, you know." crunch some numbers for me. And then what I would essentially do is I would basically overlay the analytical analysis with a nice analytical analysis, all the analytical reports on wide receivers or this or that, the other thing we can talk about this another time. But, but the point is that there are key measurables and uh, kind of production numbers that you can look at from college players and predict their NFL success. Uh, and so, and so if you would take that and just overlay it with what the scouting team is doing and focus more on what the scouting team is looking at in terms of characteristics, uh, you know, security concerns and have they had, you know, trouble paths, that sort of thing, overlay those two components. Like you could draft, I, I, I would easily say 30 to 40% better than what, what we've seen in the last three general managers. Okay. So having said that, let's get back to this. So. Josh, when you think about this team and you think about what is like one or two characteristics that you want to see from the next coach? Yeah, I, I, we've talked about it all year, right, guys? So we, we've talked about scheme. And so, you know, when, when we think about a head coach you want to bring in with an offensive mindset, I think you're dead on there that we need a, we need a head coach that thinks offensively for the next five to ten years where this league is heading. I think Patrick Mahomes and um, the Chiefs have shown that this has just become a run-and-gun kind of a league now, that you're just going to go out there and try to score as many points as you can. You kind of let defense be a little bit of a secondary thought. Um, and, you know, so scheme to me matters offensively more than anything. It, it matters who the guy that's coming in um, – what he wants to do on offense, what he really wants to do and sees in a Sam Darnold, and then how he wants to spend, um, you know, a lot of this, a lot of this free agent money to go get some guys that, that contribute to that scheme. And so, um, you know, that, that really matters to me. I think, I think offensive scheme and offensive creativity um, is going to really matter um, in this next season in the NFL. Um, I, I think we've started to see the, the Steph Curry effect essentially happening also in the NFL. And so, 
I think that's going to matter. Um, scheme, scheme is certainly a big part of that. And guys, like, I, I just want a head coach that just, like, you know, invokes a little bit of excitement. You know, I don't know that under Todd Bowles we ever felt excited. I don't know that the guys ever seemed to be, like, just generally excited. Um, and so I'm not saying you need to go, you know, hire just a 25-year-old. Just to kid. interrupt you there quick, I think he was excited when he talked about Gladys Knight and the Pips. I think Oh, that he was, was very – yes, I do remember that. He was. That, that's blinked. it. That's the only thing he was ever excited about. He blinked twice and cracked a half smile. Um, no, but, like, you know – if the league is getting younger in its mentality, it's getting younger in kind of in the way that the game is played very offensively run and gun. You just want a guy that's going to come in and just invoke excitement, not fake tough guy excitement. You know, I'm not asking um, who was the Rutgers coach that um, uh, it was uh Shiano. Yeah, Greg Greg Shiano. Shiano. Like, you know, just a fake tough guy kind of mentality. Like I'm not saying that stuff, you know, but think about the most fun we had in the last 15 years. It was all under Rex Ryan, right? Like, we had the most fun as Jet fans when things were a little bit crazy, a little bit chaotic. Um, toward the end, obviously, like, mediocrity set in. But, you know, I, I want a guy that's going to come in and just wants the guys to have fun. I'm a big UConn basketball fan, and so the last four or five years with Kevin Ali, albeit the first year he took Jim Calhoun's team and won a title with them, but the subsequent years just weren't fun. The guys were just a little bit downtrodden, a little bit, like, beat up all the time by Kevin Ali. And then Dan Hurley comes in, former coach from Rhode Island. Mm. Um, this season is his first year. And guys are just jumping around. He's chest bumping guys. I'm, like, there's just a fun atmosphere happening with that team. It just changes the culture. And so, you know, if there's a culture shift that has to happen within the Jets front office, within everybody that's working in that organization, it's just a guy that's going to make the thing feel like fun. Like, it doesn't have to be – you said it in this thing. Football doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be – just put your head down and, and gain three yards. There can just be excitement and joy and, and you know, an environment where guys want to succeed and feel like they can, they can take some shots, maybe make a mistake or two, and they're not going to get lit up and benched for it. Like, I, I just want to have a team that feels like it's going to have some fun. This year felt like the reins were just so tight on everybody, on every element of the organization. Um, and maybe that's just due to transition. But, you know, to really open it up, let a guy come in with a good offensive scheme and a guy that just wants his team to have fun, man, what would the next four or five years feel like for us if that was the case? All right. So with that in mind, let's jump now to some of the player uh, players, the coaches that have been talked about as potential candidates. So I'd say let's work our way up the list from kind of denied interest, folks that we maybe don't know much about, uh, but let, we'll, we'll really focus on requested. So the one coach I think that I know so far that's denied interest as of Wednesday, 11 o'clock a.m., uh, it, it was Matt Campbell. So Matt Campbell, uh, the coach of Iowa State, uh, personally, I'm sure he's great, and I've done a little research and kind of looked at him, but I don't really know too much about him. He seems like he would be a good potential place for the Jets, but more than anything, what I think is Matt Campbell is somebody that Albert Breer put forward to Colin Coward on a, on a show on Christmas Eve, and so essentially Manish Mehta jumped on that, and he needed his martyr to crucify the Jets over for the next four years when they, did, when they weren't able to hire Matt Campbell so that now he can say, well, this would all be different if you hired Matt Campbell. Exactly. So, so that's going to be – that's what Manish is all about, and everyone will be compared to you know the, the white knight of, of Matt Campbell. At, and that's kind of why Manish did what he did, and I just kind of – you, you read him enough and you can see where things will go over the time. 
anyway, so he's, he's denied interest. We don't know anything about John Harbaugh. Obviously, he's likely to stay in Baltimore. Uh, if they exit in the first round, maybe he's someone that the team would trade for. We don't know about his contract extension. He might not get an extension, but the sense here is Baltimore will probably try and keep him. But if you pr- send him a second or a you know, couple second round picks or something like that, he might be he might be gettable for, for the new, the new GM there, DaCosta. Um, John DeFilippo, obviously uh, I have a lot, I have a lot of love for, for DeFilippo. He, he played at my alma mater JMU while I was there. Um, he was QB coach, worked with Petten and Rex Ryan, uh, fired by the offensive coordinator, the, as the offensive coordinator for the Vikings this year maybe has more to do with Kirk Cousins than we initially thought. Um, and then some other names, Dave Taub, the special team coordinator for Kansas City, no, nothing known about him. Dan Campbell has had some interview requests, but not by the Jets so far. And the Jets haven't shown any interest in Sean McVay's staff, which is actually fine by me, and we can get to that a little bit more. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hoopin' with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Are there other players, that, uh, other coaches that are out there that have not got formal requests yet that you would be interested in them reaching out to before we get to the, the core crew of the folks that <clears throat> have requested. I'll take that as a no. So, no. Uh, okay. So sorry. So, no. That's fine. That's fine. So, so let's, so let's focus then on the folks who the jets have requested interviews with which is, and we'll just go down the list here that I've created. Number one, Mike McCarthy. So the, the argument for Mike McCarthy is he's won a Super Bowl. He took the Packers to the NFC North, you know, divisional title for, for many years. The arguments against him is he only won one Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers. And uh, basically, he's, he's not a great game manager. You know, there, and you know, there's, there's a litany of other things, you know, his talent evaluation, that sort of thing. What do you think about the Jets and Mike McCarthy? Yeah, I don't like it. You know, if you can't make a relationship work with one of the five or ten best quarterbacks of all time, uh, I'm, I'm really not interested. And maybe you know, some of that has to be borne um, by, by Aaron Rodgers. That they have right. such a Who clearly has relationship issues, yeah. right? Yeah, and so you know, McCarthy isn't – I don't know. It, it feels like the the retread that you know. It, it's it's the yeah, I don't know. I, I I'd be very hesitant to get excited about it. Um, I feel like it might bring some stability, but I could ultimately see just another blow up happening two years down the line after like two eight and eight seasons, and now the the window on Darnold's rookie contract are closing, and they're going to have to pay him, and then maybe don't have as much money available for other positions. I no, I. I don't get as excited as, as maybe other, other Jet fans do about McCarthy. Um, ultimately, feel like it's just a retread at this point, and I don't, I don't feel like he brings anything innovative um, to the Jets at all. I, uh, I'm, with, I'm with Josh on this. Uh, you know, one of, one of the things that's maybe brightened up my disposition on him a little bit is the, you know, was it him or was it Aaron Rodgers? 
I don't think anyone really knows, but I think that argument can be made either way. But the game management thing is the thing that kills me. You know, I, I don't want another, what would this, this probably be like the fourth or fifth yeah. coach that we've had consecutively that is horrible. Eric Mangini is the only great game manager we've had since, I don't know. Parcells. 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 Yeah. 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 And, I mean, I... I don't want to go through that again. I'm really sick of the uh, inability to to manage a game. I feel like that should be the the first and foremost thing that you should be able to do as a head coach. And if not, you have somebody that's telling you what to do, you know, somewhere. AKA um, Dick Curl for Herb Edwards. Exactly. So yeah, I'm 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 not not on board with that one. Okay. Yeah. I, I guess what I would say is like I, I it it's not the worst hire. I certainly, what I would say is it would not surprise me, right, to to Josh's point, if we're three years down the road and it's just been a mediocre team and they haven't gotten the most ta- uh, most out of their, their players. But I get how Jets fans are interested in him because it seems like a safe bet. I get it. My biggest difference is he's underperformed with pretty good talent, and now he's going to a team with, I think we can all agree, less talent and the and the evaluation and the ability to evaluate talent and so how's that going to work so you take you basically take an inefficient coach and you put it with an inefficient personnel decision maker uh how does that that seems to work better than an inefficient coach with better personnel evaluation that seems like trouble okay eric bionomy next guy on the list uh, he's the current Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator. Although this is his first year, he was obviously uh, took over the role from, I guess, Frank Reich, right? Was Frank Reich there? Uh, uh, it would have been Matt Nagy, right? Yeah, thank you. Matt, Matt Nagy, Nagy, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So Matt Nagy was formerly the offensive coordinator. So this is his first year. He's been, he's been a running back running backs coach. Um, historically over his career, he was a, a former running back in the NFL. The arguments for him are he's the Kansas City offensive coordinator. The arguments against him would be he's done it for one year and he did it with Travis Kelsey, Tyreek the Free Kill, and uh, Kareem Hunt, and Patrick Mahomes. So is is Bionami the mastermind here or is it the talent? And so I would I would I would my thought is he might be great, but I worry about the fact that he's not shown enough body of work and to demonstrate the fact that he could be a great head coach. Yeah. And, and he didn't call plays guys. Like he, he's not the offensive. I mean, he's a great running backs coach, obviously got the promotion well liked within the organization, potentially the next Andy Reed, you know, coaching tree guy that, that emerges. Um, but Nagy called plays there. Doug Peterson called plays there. Bionami didn't. And so I don't know what that really means. You know, I don't know if that's a lack of knowledge of, of the roster. I don't know if that's Andy Reid saying, like, I, I need you in this role to, to keep the offense yeah. rolling, but I'm going to be taking over the play-calling responsibilities in your first year. Maybe he turns that over to Bionami if he sticks around for another year. You know, I don't, I don't know if it's a negative thing for him, but I, I'd be worried about I'd be worried about that as he's just not done it yet. And so maybe he needs a year of calling his own plays before he becomes like a really top prospect next year, but that's not the Jets situation. So, you know, it, it would feel like potentially a year early with a risk um, where potentially he's a great head coach in the line of Nagy and, you know, say what you will about Peterson. He's gotten his team into the playoffs two years in a row here. Um, I, I'd be a little bit iffy, but I feel better about him than I do about McCarthy. Hmm. Yeah. So a- any thoughts on Bionami, Travis? 
Um, I feel kind of the same same way as Josh, and it goes back to game management again for me. You know, if you're not calling plays, how are you going to be as a game manager? I, I love the coaching tree, and I'm sure that he's gotten some great experience out of being with Andy Reid for the amount of time that he has, but just body of work. I'd like to see more. I'd like to see what he what he does in these situations because – you know he's not showing he's not showing us any kind of any kind of focus group or litmus test on what he can do in game management situations and it goes again i'm sick of yeah. of of inability to manage a game yeah beyond going to be if he sticks around for one more year and and does the play calling duties listen he's going to be a great coach and maybe that becomes another one of manisha's martyrs for the team that always oh, should have hired him we just don't know and so i don't know that you can take the risk on a completely unknown quantity with the lame duck GM in a transitioning front office. It just feels like too many risks to me, but, yeah. but he could be great. And maybe next year we see him on another team doing incredible things and feel like, dang it, maybe we missed out. But if you're not kind of sure and you're not sure how this is going to go, I don't know that they can take that risk. Speaking of risks, let's talk about Todd Monken. So Monken has most recently spent his time as the Bucks' offensive coordinator. Before that, he was a college coach at Southern Miss. Uh, and so he has bounced around between college and pros. But obviously, the work that he did this year with the Bucks, if you were to boil down what Ryan Fitzpatrick and Jameis Winston contributed in terms of quarterback play, I don't know if this played out through the whole season, but through late October and into November, well into November, if you took that, that player, Bucks QB, was the second quarterback to Patrick Mahomes this year and at one point was the had the ninth overall fantasy season for all quarterbacks of all time. So the point is he knows how to put together a a, a an offense that attacks uh defenses and, and so he is a very interesting to me innovative mind. At the same time is he someone who would thrive in New York? who could deal with the pressures of New York, who could find a defensive coordinator who could take that side of the ball. Because I don't think Todd Monken was really known for his ability to, uh, you know, to, to find defensive talent or defensive coaching. So can he find someone to really, what do you say? Like bulwark that side of the, of the football thoughts on Monken guys. Yeah, I like Monken. I think, I think he's a good candidate. I just worry that he's not going to leave Tampa. I think they're, I think if, if they, see a lot of him and maybe they're letting Cutter go because they really do believe that um, Monken is, is, is going to be their next guy. Yeah. If, if they don't hire him, maybe that also sends a little bit of a message, but I think he's a great candidate. He's probably in my top three of guys that I really think that the Jets should very seriously pursue, but, but I don't know that he's going to leave Tampa guys. I think they're going to take him and make him their head coach. Any thoughts, Travis? You know, I, I don't hate, <clears throat> sorry again. Uh, I don't hate the Monken. uh, possibility but I, I don't put as much stock into this uh passing game you know this amazing passing game guy we we've we've all seen ryan fitzpatrick firsthand do the the things that he was doing in tampa bay for us i mean he's got those flashes where he'll throw four or five touchdowns in a game you know that's mm-hmm. that's just the the way he he works within an offense and and it was kind of the same way with, with James. Jameis Winston's very similar in my mind to Ryan Fitzpatrick. He'll have those games where he lights it up, but he'll have those games that he doesn't. And that's, that's just that risk-taking mentality that he has. Uh, and I think that's the, that in itself would be the, the biggest pro to Monken. And it's kind of uh, harkens back to one thing that either you or Josh said a little while ago, that mentality of a head coach to go, you know, go, go air it out. If you make a mistake, you know, whatever, just, you know, 
take a risk, do something. Mm-hmm. Um, I see that in him, but I, I don't know that I see like enough as a, a offensive coordinator and scheme wise that makes me go, Oh man, this guy's going to, going to kill it. He's going to be innovative. I, I, it just, you know, he, he doesn't, he doesn't light it up for me in my mind, but I don't hate it. Um, I, he's, he's kind of the one where I would go, eh, okay, I'm, I can, I can probably be cool with this. Right. But yeah, it, it does feel a little bit kind of out on, out on a, a ledge there. So um, moving on, I'm going to quickly <laughs> bowl through this next one. Jim Caldwell. Nope. Uh, nope. Right. Yeah. Nope. Passing along. So Jim Caldwell's great accomplishments are, uh, having Peyton Manning on his roster, right? And basically having won the Super Bowl with him. And then, hey, you know, Peyton Manning can't play. He's got this neck injury and the team goes 2-14. and 14. So, uh, and then they, you know, fire him. <clears throat> and then he goes to the Lions and did what with them? So my whole point is I, I just not interested. Just keep moving, keep moving. Nothing to see here. The next guy who is interesting, I know he's interesting to both of you or maybe one of you, is uh, Chris Richard. I think, Josh, you are interested. Oh, yeah. Obviously, former Legion of Boom defensive backs coach, now defensive backs coach with the Cowboys who had a pretty decent uh, defensive year. Uh, Richard was also someone who I know was diligenced by the Jets in that last Rex Ryan year. So before they fired him, Richard was someone they were legitimately interested in put some feelers out and did some, let's say, diligence work on whether he might be someone to replace Rex Ryan. It obviously did not happen, um, and he stayed on one more year, and then we got Todd Bowles. But so he's someone the Jets have been eyeing for a while. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Here's my big question. Maybe someone can answer this for me. How is he the defensive backs coach and the passing game coordinator? What the fuck is that? Yeah. It's kind of like when Mangini was the tight ends coach in That's San Francisco. Right. Yeah, it, it confuses okay. the crap out of me. Okay, so can you explain this to us, Josh? Well, I don't know that I can explain it. I did a little bit of a deep dive to figure out what what a passing game coordinator technically does. And really, more or less, he's sitting in on some meetings throughout the week with head coach uh, Pete Carroll and then the, the Seahawks offensive coordinator um, just to look at, like, what are things we're doing and from a defensive perspective – what would you be looking for um, in an offense that runs this play and then this play? Like, what are you reading? What are you seeing? And so, you know, I think he's bringing kind of a defensive perspective to the offense. And I know that that sounds like, well, isn't that just what defense is? And it's like, yeah, of course. But he's helping the Seahawks find wrinkles in their offense, in their passing game, that a defensive-minded coach like him is not particularly maybe focusing on. He's just getting his guys in position to make right plays. And when, when are you turning? What are you reading as a defensive back? And so, okay. you know, what, it, what excites me about Richard is he's coming from a forward-thinking organization like the Seahawks, and mm-hmm. where, where he's a defensive coach, of coaching DBs, but he's also been sitting in on some of these passing game things. And honestly, if we look at the Seahawks the last few years, and now obviously he's been mm-hmm. with the Cowboys um, these, this, this last season, um, you know, he's bringing a, an interesting, different, analytical, forward-thinking perspective of, hey, offense and defense both matter. I'm primarily coming from a background of playing and then coaching defensive backs, but I've had my eye on offense for years. And so I think if he 
is a legit option for the Jets, and he's in my top three. He's probably right now, and I know we're going to talk about one more guy. Richard is, is my guy that I would love to see come in because I think he's bringing a perspective of, hey, let's just get the best minds in the room to make the best decisions regardless of title. Um, and I like that thought. I like the analytics side, and I like the footwork thinking. And he's super young, and I like that too. He's yeah. fun. Yeah, uh, obviously, yeah, and he's got that kind of fun, fired up thing about him. I mean, having you know work work with the Legion of Boom crew and and all that. So there's one more name out there who I think we might have a good discussion on. And so I just checked. Joe Caparoso has a poll out there of what coaches would you most like to to see coming in, and he's leading Joe Caparoso's poll. Uh, is Cliff Kingsbury. So Kingsbury, obviously the former Texas Tech coach, was fired just about a month ago um, and is now, took in the last month, took a job with uh, University of Southern California as their offensive coordinator. Obviously, I'm sure USC wouldn't hold it against him if he got a head coaching gig, uh, but the big things in kind of Cliff Kingsbury's arsenal are the fact that he coached Baker Mayfield Davis Webb and Patrick Mahomes. Um, obviously, those players, two of those players have gone on to be NFL starters. Davis Webb uh, was in contention there a little bit uh, for the Giants last season, I think. is he? He's currently on the Jets practice squad, I, I believe. Is that right? Am I, am I, I think wrong? so. Yep, he is. Yeah, and so so he's on the on the, the practice squad. But the biggest thing that Cliff Kingsbury ever did was he got Jason Morrow to actually be a productive player. So, um, so so thoughts on Cliff Kingsbury? And I know that there's been a little um, uh, celebrity cameo endorsements of, of Kingsbury as well. Yeah, Jamal, Marcus May, Chris Herndon have all taken to Twitter and Instagram to follow him and then start retweeting um, their excitement about him. I like Cliff Kingsbury. I think he's a great option. Um, he's certainly within my top three. You know, the, the lack of NFL experience could be a little bit of a concern, but to see what he's done in college with offenses at Texas Tech for a number of years, and then honestly, you know, there's a reason why USC was interested in him as well. Um, I I'm very excited about him as an option. Um, I think if he's going to make the jump, going with a young quarterback, a wide-open roster, and some young studs on defense is probably one of the best situations he, he could be landing in. So to me, you know, it's, it's Richard and Kingsbury. I kind of go back and forth a little bit. Um, Monken's also in my top three. But I, I do get excited about Kingsbury, guys. And if the, if the guys on the team are getting excited about him um, and they're putting out this, this, this all-out um, kind of kind of social media blitz to follow him and get him excited. That's that's just another notch in the belt to say that you know he might be a guy that these guys want to have come in and reset the culture with them. So I'm I'm all about it. Um, I, I don't I don't hate the idea. Um, I'm I'm with Josh. He's in my top three. I think Richard's a little higher. And uh, it was rumored that a uh, uh, rule from uh, uh, Baylor um, is a possibility yeah. as well. And he's actually kind of up there for me. Yeah, and it's it's. It's that double-edged sword where uh, I'm excited about a new fresh face, but I'm also worried a little bit about inexperience. Um, I worry about that with Richard because, you know, I, I, I wonder you know, why has no one tapped him to be a defensive coordinator if he's so damn good, let alone a head coach. Um, I like the outside-of-the-box thinking, but those kind of things worry me a little bit. And him getting fired at Texas Tech, you know, if he can't stick on there, you know, what, what are the prospects and, you know, a big market – you know, where there's going to be a lot of everything and, and, you know, everyone's going nuts because he's, he's a good looking dude. Um, 
so the ladies uh, you know, love Cliff Kingsbury. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, it. I think all of these. I, I don't think I'm going to be completely sold on anybody just because it's such a important hire at this point in the uh, the franchise. Yeah. So I'm, I'm I think I'm overthinking everything, but he's he's probably higher than than most on my list. Yeah. It's, it's important to say that Kingsbury has also now started following Jamal on Instagram. Ooh, there they go. Now yes. they can slide into each other's DMs. I like that. They're going to be sliding in each other's DMs. I love it. Um, I, I like Kingsbury. I think he would be interesting. I think it is a weird world and we live in where a coach who was just fired out of a Big 12 program uh, is now a candidate for head coaching. And I think that speaks to – you know, who's available this year uh, that a lot of the coaches have been kind of, you know, soaked up over the last two or three years. And so there really is a little bit of a, um, a lack of, of, of lots of compelling candidates as, as we've had in the past. I mean, the big thing though, you know, about Texas tech is, and, and Kingsbury there though, is he was just unable to really put together a defense. So I think he's going to have to rely on the front office to get the right personnel in place. Obviously, you know, if you have someone like Jamal Adams and Marcus May and, you know, some of those players, you know, they're going to be able to rally the, the players on the field. Uh, you need to get more of those kind of players in the building. Uh, and then you also need a pretty solid defensive coordinator to pair with him. So I would certainly see if the Jets were to bring in someone like Kingsbury, they better bring a strong defensive coordinator retread type uh to the picture as well so you know maybe someone who's you know just got fired and been demoted or something like that i think that's about it todd Todd bulls perhaps yeah yeah they can hire that's great (laughs) that's a great idea i love it or maybe we could bring rex ryan back yeah bring him back as a coordinator yeah that'd be great that would that would be no problem sure he would say yes yeah i'm sure he would i'm sure he would so (laughs) anyway i think we've talked for a good long while um, any last parting thoughts before we before we head out for the afternoon, fellas? I really hope that we are able to get Josh Allen in the draft so yes. that we can see Josh Allen sack Josh Allen. Oh, that would be so good. I just want to have the better Josh Allen of the Josh Allens. I um, agree. Yeah, I think no. that would be amazing, and it's going it's going to be even better in two years' time when Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills is a tight end, and uh, Josh Allen is uh, you know obviously you know floating into space and in a coverage situation to stop Josh Allen from catching a pass. That'll be great. True. You know, guys, I am going to miss our, our weekly conversations. I know we're going to pop in probably a couple mm-hmm. times in the off season, but this was fun. This was just great. It's good to <laughs> commiserate together, talk about drinking ex- exploits and about golden girls. Don't forget golden girls, oh, the golden yeah. girls, sex in the city. Year one was good. Season one of this podcast was great. Awesome. Yeah, I had a lot of fun too. And yeah, so programming note for for the folks at home, uh, we will continue to do a couple of these, but in terms of the pace, like just, you know, lives are crazy. So we will scale it back, but this is not the last you've heard of us. We'll pop back in, um, you know, as the coaching search progresses, you know, around free agency or the combine, I'm sure there'll be times where we're popping back in and uh, and dropping a, a pod here or there on your on your asses, but we, yes, this has been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed it. Uh, certainly I, <laughs> I had no idea what this was going to be like, but I knew talking with the both of you, both friends, this would be a, a fun, enjoyable ride. And that's exactly what it's been. And I've, I've learned a lot. Uh, 
So just feel like this is a one to grow on situation. Thanks, fellas. Just um, imagine what, what Travis is going to do in the next, like, I don't know, four weeks before we talk to him again. I can't imagine the length of stories our friend Travis is going to have. Well, if you follow him on Twitter at Dash 37 Board 27, or you follow Josh Conrad on Twitter at Josh underscore Conrad, you'll be able to check in on all that stuff. Thank you, fellas. We will talk to you, our loyal listeners, in the weeks to come. Pray that the Jets come up with some guiding principles and goals. Pray that their general manager uh, understands what metrics are and maybe applies them to his, his evaluation process. Pray that the Trumaine Johnson contract gets nulled, uh, nullified in some way and, and pray that we find a, a, off- a, a head coach who is either offensive-minded, neutral in uh, – how he uses players at the at a minimum first as defensive coordinators or coordinators and also maybe knows how to properly manage games. So those those are my big prayers as we as we head into this whole whole season. Thanks everybody for listening. Have a good one. We'll talk to you soon. Hirechrisrichard.com. <laughs> Is that now a website? That needs to be a website now. I'm gonna make it. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Don't forget you. 2019. Dorothy on the streets, Blanche in the sheets, flip it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone. See you. See you.